You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. This new series is called Christ in Me, the Explosive Outworking of a Life of Faith. This is uh, four people stacked on one another in a really creative way. Uh, What we're going to be looking at over the course of the next four weeks, our teaching team is going to carry this series looking at what happens in my life when I've been transformed by Jesus Christ. What will genuinely change when I genuinely meet Jesus? This faith that we have in Jesus Christ is meant to transform us. It's meant to transform us from the inside out. Our lives should look different in the ways that we act, in the way that we speak, in the way that we handle adversity, in the way that we walk day by day, we should change. And the key for this entire series as we walk through it is looking at Christ in me to see the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us, drawing forth these new desires, drawing forth this new love, this new speech, these new behaviors, these new attitudes, this new life. Four weeks on the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, Christ in us, to see transformation at work in us. So if you can think about our last staff teaching series, we were looking at Christ in me, or looking at at the feet of Jesus. When we meet with Jesus, what happens? And now we're turning, and and now our life should look differently. And so that's where we're going to go for the next four weeks. We pray it's a very practical series, and so let's dive right into it. If you've got a copy of God's Word, join me in Psalm 10. Psalm 10 is our text today, looking at the entire psalm. And today in particular, I want to talk from God's word about courage, real courage. And to begin our time, I want to throw up a definition of what courage is. I found this one. I really liked it. It's the ability to do something that scares me or the finding of strength in the face of pain or grief. The ability to do something that scares me, or the finding of strength in the face of pain or grief. Courage. I don't know if, if any of you speak French, you will see the word cœur in there, which is the French word for heart. And this is really what this word means. It, 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 it came out in the 13th century. It meant to give heart to something. And to encourage someone, to encourage someone, is to make heart in them. This is all about growing in the strength of heart. And in Psalm 10, we're introduced to a conflict where the writer faces where suffering has hit his life. Trouble has come upon him. Difficulty has come upon him. And his courage begins to shake. The psalmist has lost heart. But he's about to find all the courage that he needs. In fact, the first half of the psalm we're going to look at, he's going to confront the situation that's facing him. He's going to address the fears that are facing him. He's going to ask the very honest question, where are you, God? And then the second half of the psalm, he's going to resolve his heart. He's going to pour courage into his heart as he sees, ah, this is what you're doing, God. Like wrestling with a plane in turbulence. He's gonna face the fear head on. He's gonna confront the truth of who God is and he's gonna find courage in his heart. So let's dive into the text, but before we do, let me just say this before we get there, before we get there. This message is a message for real human beings only, okay? This is not a message for that person who throws sunshine and rainbows at you all the time. You know what I mean? Hey, how are you doing today, my friend? Everything is fantastic. And you open up their life on social media and it looks like some kind of Pinterest account, you know what I mean? Where everything is pressed linen, 
Things are made of wicker. There's white doves flowing everywhere. Everything is perfect in their life. This is, if that's you, this is not a message for you. This is not going to work for you. This is a message for a real person who is struggling in a real, often very messy world. If that's you tonight, if you feel messy tonight, great. Because it, that's how the psalmist felt when he wrote this passage. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through the conflict that he's going to face, and then we'll pause, and then we'll pray. Take a look at the fear that shakes him. Verse 1, Psalm 10, verse 1. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Where are you? Why are you hiding, God? Verse 2. In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul. And the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. And all his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high out of his sight. As for his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages. In hiding places, he murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in the thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. And he seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Arise, O Lord. O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account? Let me pray. God, we come to you now in this time. And we ask for your grace and your mercy to meet us in this room in a supernatural way. We pray, Lord, that the, the power of the Holy Spirit be working upon this room and providing the real comfort that many hearts need in this room. There are many hearts in this room struggling with fear, struggling with anxiety, struggling to find the courage to face the next day, to face the next trial, to face the current trial, to face the difficulty and the struggle God, would you meet with us here today? Would your truth and your spirit lead us to the overflowing well of the Lord Jesus Christ that we might behold his glory and his grace and his love and that we might leave this place courageous people. Strengthen us, God, for this. Lead us, O Lord, in the truth of your word now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, listen, the psalmist has had a very real moment in front of you, and he wrote it down. With confused and, and furious pen strokes, you can imagine him writing this down, the frustration over his heart, the pain that he's facing, the fear that he's facing. His heart is shaking under the suffering that he's in, and the courage is melting away from him. What kind of trial and difficulty is he, is he enduring? Put your eyes back on the text for a second. We're going to fly through these 13 verses. Verse 2, check out what kind, of, what kind of people are these that he's facing. Verse 2, their arrogance, they, they violently seek to afflict the poor. Verse 3, they're filled with pride. They chase after money. They look down with contempt upon the Lord. 
How do they do this? Verse 4, not only seeking him, but by denying that he even exists. In verse 5, he rejects the judgments of God. They, these kinds of people, they despise his word and they scoff at the opponents. Verse 6, as a result, he says in his heart, I'm untouchable. And now what's happened here, the, the psalm cracks in a second, and, and, and now the fractured relationship between this kind of oppressor and God, this vertical fracture has happened, and now what's going to happen, because he has no relationship and no fear with God, now the opponent is going to turn and attack on the horizontal. Look what happens in verse 7. His words are filled with curses, lies, and oppression. Verse 8, he's actively looking to hurt people and victimize the weak. Verse 9, He's literally lurking like a lion to ambush someone. Verse 10, worst part, he's actually powerful. People are actually getting mowed down. Verse 11, he boasts that God can't even see him. Verse 13, he says that not only does God not exist, if he does exist, he doesn't care. I took out the words of the opponent the words of the, the person pressing into the psalmist to create this kind of fear, to create this kind of anxiety, to melt the courage away from the psalmist. I plucked those words out. I put them all on one slide. Here they are. This is what this, this person's saying. There's no God. I shall not be moved. I shall not meet adversity. God has forgotten. He will never see it. You will not call to account. Pride, arrogance. In their vertical actions, they reject the Lord. And in their horizontal actions, the wicked disregard others. The arrogance, the hurt they're causing. And it seems, at least from these 13 verses, the psalmist says, it seems that they're winning. That's the psalmist's pain. It's an oppressor. And his heart is getting racked with turbulence. Courage is melting away. It's bleeding out of him. And it leads him to cry out from verse 1, Why, O Lord? Do you stand far away? You ever said that? Where are you, God? In the moments of fear, in the moments of pain, in the moments of difficulty. You know, I think we said that collectively as a culture uh, recently. Uh, why, oh Lord, do you stand far away? I can think of one moment in my lifetime, September 11th, 2001, 19 men hijacked four fuel-loaded airplanes. And the fallout is almost 3,000 people killed in New York City, Washington, and a little town in Pennsylvania. 3,000 people. Why, oh Lord, do you stand far away? Even just recently, Canada, Friday, April 7th, the Humboldt Broncos heading to Nipawin, Saskatchewan for the Junior Hockey League playoff game. 16 die in the crash, 13 more injured. Why, oh Lord, do you stand far away? <laughs> We've said that collectively, haven't we? But maybe you've said that personally. Because there's your story. There's your struggle. There's your pain. There's your suffering. There's your fear. You, you know the one that people know about? And maybe, maybe they don't even know about the loss of a loved one, the struggle with cancer, the sexual assault, the abuse in the past, the lost child, the lost spouse, the lost marriage, the abandonment, 
the sickness that's taking you? Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? And then there's the million lesser pains. These aren't the ones that that change life dramatically, but they're painful nonetheless. The employment struggle, the persecution from family or friends, the the oppression you face, the the ridicule maybe at work or at school, the the medical struggle, the financial struggle, your, your marriage stinks, you hate your job, you wish you could change your life. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? And I call you to walk with courage, and you say, how can I walk with courage? When I've had that happen in my life, how are you telling me that I shouldn't be afraid of anything? How can I walk with courage when I'm walking through this right now? We begin to lose heart, don't we? We begin to lose courage to face the day, to face even the hour. It melts away from us. We begin to slide. Suffering pushes us in ways that regular living doesn't. Suffering tests courage like nothing else. The heart begins to shake in the suffering. And we're left saying, yeah, 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 where, where is he? Where are you? Why, oh Lord, do you stand so far away? Tonight I want to talk about courage. Like, from God's word, real courage in the middle of pain. Now the good news for you today is that courage is a choice you can make even tonight. Courage is a choice. Fear is something that happens to you. Fear is something that it's a response of the heart to a situation that's traumatic or difficult or painful or hurtful. Fear is a response that happens, but, but courage is a choice you can make today. And the psalmist chooses courage in the verses that are going to follow. And this is the call for us today, to choose courage as well. And for those of us in Jesus Christ, we need to. We're called to choose courage. Okay, great. Craig, how do you choose courage? How do you do it? How do you choose courage? Here's the big idea for tonight. In my pain, in my loss, in my trial, in my hurt, in the difficulty, in the hard things, courage comes when I follow truth. Courage comes when I follow the truth. The psalmist, his heart has gone through a lot of turbulence. He's facing this oppressor, but now he steadies his heart with the truth. He's going to take a huge chomp, bite down on the truth of who God is. And this is the great truth for us tonight. To build courage in my life, I need to bite down. I need to chomp. I need to take a huge bite of truth in my life, okay? All right, all right. You with me? Kind of? Okay, with me. Okay, moment of lightness here. When I'm thinking about biting down on something to find courage to face the next day, I actually thought of this guy, okay? <laughs> Do you know who this guy is? It's Popeye, right? Eyes strong to the finish, because I eats me spinach. Okay, this guy, Popeye, right? What happens? He pops the, the, the can of spinach, and then, uh-oh, look out, Bruno. He's, he's coming for you. This is, this is what we're going to go through, okay? We're going to open up can after can after can of truth, that will fill our hearts in Christ with courage to face whatever God has called us to walk into. Courage is like this. Okay, now the outline I wanna give you. This is almost like a menu of courage, if it were. Uh, Four huge truths to load your heart with courage, whatever. And I'll say this, by the way. Uh, I I keep a journal. At the back of my journal, I have these truths every time. Every time I start a new journal, I write these truths down. For when that day comes, I go back, I look at them, and I believe, and I call my heart. Believe this to be true. Okay, so four huge truths. Here's the first one. In my trial, in my difficulty, in my suffering, in the fears that face me, I can take courage 
from the truth that the Lord knows. The Lord knows that that's happening. Don't you see? Don't you see, Lord? Don't you know what's happening to me? And the answer that comes back is yes. Yes, the Lord sees. Yes, the Lord knows. Look at his word, verse 14. But you do see. But you do see. For you know mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper to the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and the evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. Is this the comfort for us today? Is this a comfort for you today? To know that the Lord, our God, perfectly, he knows perfectly what's happening in your life right now. The fear that faces you, the struggle that faces you, the trial that faces you right now, he knows it perfectly. He knows exactly what you're going through right now. But listen, listen, this is not some absent-minded ledger keeping where, where we ask God, hey, did you know that I'm going through that pain right now? And he's like, oh yeah, I knew. That's not what's being said here. What's being said here is it says, did you see this? But you note it, you note it. That's a, that's a specific word. That means to observe with great care. It means to pay careful attention to. This is not just an absent-minded noting. This is a, ah, yes, I see that. This is the God who leans in and checks things out. Why is God observing this? Why is God watching so closely? Well, so that, see this, he may take it into his hands. Literally, this word conveys the idea that, that God is seeing that, watching the assembly line pass of your life, and saying, that's wrong right there. I'm gonna pick that up, and I need to fix that. I see it, I note it. That's the image we're getting from verse 14, but there's more. We get what God will do but we also get why God will do it. Do you see this at the end of verse 14? To you, the helpless commits himself. You have been a helper to the fatherless. God does this because he responds to his children, to his poor, tired, broken, hurting, worn out. Nobody can see me when I cry like that. Put my face together so no one else can see that that pain's really painful to me. Put on a brave smile. Walk into work. Put on a brave smile. Come into church. That's the child that God sees. He sees you. God does this because he responds to his children. Listen, listen, though. One of the ways that you will guarantee lose heart in this life, one of, the, one of the fastest ways to liquidate courage in your life is by thinking that God doesn't know. Is by walking day by day thinking, God doesn't see, God doesn't know, God doesn't see, God doesn't know. And what happens? It's a real quick move to God doesn't see, God doesn't know, God doesn't care. God doesn't care about me. But one of the greatest ways to build courage in our lives is to to cling to the truth of God's word, which says to us tonight, oh no, 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 no. God knows what's going on in my life right now. God sees it. God is there. He knows it. Listen, to build courage in our lives, we need to follow the truth. God knows the situation that you're in. God knows the pain. God knows the tear. God knows the heartache. He knows the fears. He knows the unsolvable problem that you're facing. He knows it. He sees it. But listen, that's not enough. Just saying that God is aware that you're going through suffering, just saying that he notes it, doesn't fully describe the matter. It doesn't give us all the help that we need. We need a little bit more. We need a little bit. It's just one piece of the picture that we're getting. Let's put the second piece in play. The Lord knows, 
But here's the second thing. Here's the, we'll call it a can of spinach, maybe for this point. Maybe for the 5 o'clock service only. It might not work for the 9. Here's the second can of spinach I want to give you. No, it won't work for the 9. Here's, here's the second truth I want you to see. All right? The Lord knows, yes, but the Lord reigns. The Lord is ruling. The Lord is in charge. Verse 16. Look at verse 16. Oh, look at verse 16. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. The nations, the strong and mighty nations. What is he saying here? The Lord is totally sovereign. He is totally sovereign forever and ever. Here's food for courage right here. Not only does he know fully and completely what I'm going through, all the pains, all the hurts, all the struggles, all the trials, but he is also fully and completely ruling over all these events, not just today, but forever and ever and ever. God is ruling. He rules over every single pain. He rules over every single instance of suffering. He rules over every single fear. What does this mean for the believer today? What does this mean? It means this. You have not fallen from the hand of God. You are gripped. You are held fast in the midst of suffering by a God who rules the universe forever and ever. Do you believe in this total sovereignty of God? That there are no random events in your life? Implications come out of this. If, if the Lord reigns forever and ever, if the Lord reigns forever and ever, then this is true. No, nope, that's not what I want. If the Lord reigns forever and ever, then no other power can interfere with God's rule of my life. No other power can interfere with God's rule of my life. If the Lord reigns forever and ever, then God, listen, has all power to start and stop suffering whenever he wants. And if God reigns forever and ever, then God has permitted suffering to come to my life. God has permitted suffering to come to my life. That's a key word, permitted. Now, I, with this, okay, I've just said a lot there. I, I think I need to, put to push the, the pastoral pause button for a second. Because that's some heavy stuff. Because maybe you heard that and you're saying, wait, 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 why would God permit something so painful in my life? Now listen, I'm not talking about consequences because of sin. I'm talking about you were walking through your life you were walking through your day, and then all of a sudden, boom, something comes. Boom, trial hits. Boom, the doctor calls. Boom, the phone rings at 2 a.m. Why would God allow something so painful in my life? Now, I don't know all the reasons. But I can say this, that somehow within the mysterious rule of the sovereignty of God, what God sometimes does in my life is to bring about earthly trial, earthly difficulty, earthly pain and sorrow because he has a bigger plan in mind for my heart. You see, we often forget this, don't we? We forget the, the direction and the final location that we're supposed to go. Let me, let me give you an illustration. Uh, Catherine and I, we, we bought for our, our girls... Uh, a kind of a delayed Christmas present. They've never been to live theater, live musical. It was their first time they were going to do this. We bought that for Christmas for them. We went in April. So we went down, and, and I'll tell you, this was like a new world, a new experience for them. They don't go to the city all that much, but we get on the GO train. The GO train. The GO train, for someone who's never been on the GO train, is a wonderful thing. You need to know this, okay? 
that's worth the price right there. The GO train was amazing. The go, oh, amazing, GO train. And then we walk together, the four of us, they're all dressed real nice for the theater midday. And then we, we, we go down, and, and, and then the next thing we're going to do is we're going to take the subway. What's the subway? Well, hold on to your hats. <laughs> we go down into the subway. We walk down into the subway. They stand, and there's the subway trains right there. They have never, they haven't, so we get on the train, the subway. We ride the subway. Just, it's just one stop, but we wanted to do it for the fun of it. Just one stop up the subway. Then they get off the subway, and it's like, what has just happened to us? And I say, okay, well, there's the stairs right there, but girls, watch this. The train's going to leave. The door's closed, and the train goes, and the big gusts, whoo, on the subway. And the girls are like, oh. I'm honest with you, church. I could have put two chairs out there, and they could have sat all day. <laughs> this was amazing. But that's not where we were going. We had a spot we wanted them to go to because so much better was involved. They had never seen live theater before. They were going to go see that for the first time. We had saved up our money for this. We had waited five months for this. You are going to see this for the first time in your life. What, what if God's plan for you in your life is not that you would sit in this place that you're in and love the world so much and love the things of the world? What if God has a better plan for you? What if God's preparing you for your real home? What if the desires in you to see this perfect life, to see this perfect relationship, to see this perfect, what if that, those desires are not going to be met here on this earth? What if they're just glimmers of the life that God has for you in the greater glory in your real home? C.S. Lewis, he, he put it famously when he said this, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. This is not my home, believer. Believer in Jesus, this is not your final home. What if some of the pain and the difficulty and the trial right now is God scraping away from you the love affair that you have with this world to make you ready and homesick for the real place that you're supposed to be going to? What if this aim in this life, what if God's aim right now is to remove me from the present happiness of this broken, fractured world to fix my eyes on the kingdom that's coming? What if God is more interested in cultivating me for my real home as his real child? And loved ones, your real home is so much greater. The Apostle Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, so we do not lose heart. Interesting, so we do not lose heart. There's that phrase, so we do not lose courage. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Watch this, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Then verse 18, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They blow away with the wind. They go away like the subway. But the things that are unseen are eternal. That's what God's preparing for us. Listen, one of the ways though, that you will lose courage in this life. One of the fastest ways to liquidate your heart is by living for the things of the world. And when the things of the world get shaken, when the things of the world get taken, when the things of the world get broken, then courage falls away from you. Now listen, I understand that this is, this is tough teaching. This is solid food for the mature believers. Big boy truths, as our pastor says. 
But maturity sees this. Maturity sees God reigning even in your suffering. God is in control of your suffering. Think about this. If God is not in control of your suffering, if you're not willing to say that God is not ruling over my suffering, then, then you have horrible alternatives. Then, then if, if God isn't ruling over my suffering, then, then God must have limited power. Then, then if God isn't ruling over my suffering, then the enemy can take me whenever he wants and do whatever he wants with me. Or worst ever, if God is not in control of my suffering and he sees me suffering, then maybe God doesn't care about me. But none of those things are true. God has complete and total control over your suffering. The enemy cannot take you whenever he wants. God does care about you. God is ruling with complete knowledge of what suffering is going on in your life and with complete power through it, as the psalmist says, forever and ever. He has complete and total power. And you ask me, okay, well, power to do what then? If God's not going to take away my suffering like that, if God's not going to fix that thing like that, if God's not going to remove that health problem like that, then what am I getting power for? If he's not going to stop it, then, then how does he give me this power? Well, let me just show you the third thing, the third big truth on this menu of, of courage. God, again, we pour courage in our heart by knowing that God sees us, by seeing and understanding that God is sovereign. Here's the third thing, the third thing. We take great courage in our fear, in our trial, from the truth that the Lord will strengthen us. The Lord will strengthen us. Verse 17, oh Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You hear, you will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear. The Lord hears the cry of the hurting, and he will strengthen them to go through that trial. Listen, what I cannot promise you from God's word today, I cannot promise you that God's word is saying to you that yes, that employment struggle, that persecution from family, friends, work, that, 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 that ridicule that you're facing, that health crisis that you're facing, the loss of your job that you're facing, the employment struggle that you're facing, the loss of the spout, the family struggle that you're facing, I, what I cannot promise you today is that God will take that all away. But what I can promise you, yes and amen, what I can promise you from God's word, right now what you're looking at, that verse promises you that the Lord will strengthen you through it, when you call out to him for it. Strengthen, you know what that word means? It literally means to make strong, to make ready, to boost the muscles of your heart, to fill you up with what's lacking. But notice the strengthening comes as a result of you calling out for help. Oh Lord, help, I can't do it. You ask, he gives. You don't ask, he doesn't give. I might have told you this story before. There was one time when that company came to Canada, the Bullseye Company, uh, Target, and they tried to make a go of it in Canada. Something happened with that. But uh, I remember walking around that Target one day, and I, 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 somebody came up to me and said, hey, do you know where the bicycles are? And I said, I don't know where the bicycles are. Probably over there or something. Then I walked a little bit further, you know, and someone said to me, do you know where the, where the towels are? And I said, I don't know, like over there probably. And then I realized something. I looked down and I had, I had brown khaki pants on and a red shirt on. I thought about this after they closed. You know, there's probably two people in Canada going, well, I know why they closed. They had horrible sales associates. They didn't know where anything was. <laughs> Listen, I, I was dressed up like I could help. I was dressed up like I could give some kind of support to you if you came into Target, but I was not able to help you at all. I couldn't help you. 
Sometimes there's things we do in our lives where we go to things and think, that's going to give me a lot of strength. I'm going to get my help from that. It looks like it can help me, but that's no help at all. We do this with strength. How can I find myself strengthened in this life? Here's a couple of things. They have fancy names to them. Uh, stoicism. This is, if you think in stoicism, this is the person who's very, I internalize things and I handle it myself. If you're a Star Trek fan, this is the Vulcan. I handle this. The crisis comes, I'm solid. I'm going to be internally strong. Cynicism. This is, nothing's ever going to work. Fake way to find strength in life. I'm, nothing's ever going to work. I'm just going to walk through life saying nothing ever's gonna, everyone's going to be terrible. Everyone's going to fail me. How about this one? Isolationism. This is, I'm going to get away from people. They always fail me. Nothing's ever going to, no, I'm going to get away. This last one. I can't handle it. I'm going to run to things that will numb me to life. <laughs> this is the ways that the world tells us to find strength. But the way that God's Word's telling us to find strength here even tonight is this last one right here. Desperation for the Lord. Child of God, the only way that you will find strength for the trials of this life is not in stuff that you can control. It's in your brokenness running to the Lord. Please help me. Please help me. What are we learning so far from God's word? The only res acceptable response to hurt, to fear, to pain, to trial is neediness and desperation for the Lord. Listen, suffering tests courage like nothing else. And the Lord, even now, even now, is inclining his ear. Is he hearing that from you? Is he hearing a desperation from you? Lord, I don't know what to do. Lord, how can you help me walk in this day? How can you help me with this trial? How, please help me. Please strengthen me. Please help me face that man one more time. Please help me face that person one more time. Please help me walk into that building one more time. Please give me the strength I need to endure the trial that may never end. Please help me, God. And I'm comforted. I don't, I don't know about you, but I'm comforted by the psalmist's approach to God. He just called, please God, please help me. Here's how one writer uh, puts it. Hardship, sorrow, persecution, and death are not good in themselves. Hear me, I'm not saying that your trials are good, but God has, in his grace, uses them for our good and his glory. The nearness of God awakens us to him in our trials and draws us towards his grace. God uses trials, God uses pain to break our self-sufficiency so that we might run to the one who has the real strength. So that we might not trust in ourselves where we fail and fail and fail. Or we might tr not trust in others who fail and fail and fail. But that we would trust in the everlasting God whose arms are strong enough to carry. And he will never, ever, ever fail. Listen, you want to build courage in your life to face the fear that you're going through right now? you got to build it in the truth of God's word that the Lord will strengthen you. He knows what you're going through. He's ruling over everything. He will strengthen your heart. And now lastly, in my suffering, you can take courage from the truth. This is the fourth point, that the Lord will do justice. The Lord will do justice. Oh Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear, verse 18, to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that man who is of the earth, so that man who is made of dirt may strike terror no more. Here's what I know is coming. Justice is coming. 
Justice is coming. There will come a day so soon. There will come a day so soon, believer in Jesus Christ, when all of the wrongs will be made right. There will come a day when these light momentary afflictions will be washed away in an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison in the face of Jesus Christ. It's going to end. It's going to end. And one of, these, one, of the, one of the greatest ways, though, one of the greatest ways that you can lose heart, one of the greatest ways that you can liquidate your courage walking day by day in this life is by giving up hope. By thinking that you're always going to be in this place, always. That this isn't going to end. But one of the greatest ways to strengthen your heart is by believing in the truth that God's word lays out. That justice is coming. And the pain will be washed away. Listen, the enemy though, the enemy, the enemy wants you to give up. The enemy wants you to think, oh, it's hopeless. Nothing's ever going to change. You may live all this life, and guess what? It's going to be the same in glory too. Just hopeless cause after hopeless cause. But that's not the truth. That's not the truth that pours courage in our hearts. We're talking about courage again. Real courage. Listen, maybe the most important thing I can say to you tonight, courage, listen loved ones, courage is never, ever, ever based on your abilities, your skills, or your achievements. Courage is based upon that which you trust or who you trust and his abilities, his strength, and his power. To find courage in this life, you don't trust in yourself. You don't knuckle under the pain and difficulty. To find courage in this life, you cling to the Lord who loves you and find strength in him and power in him and courage in him and confidence in him. To build courage, we must follow the truth that by faith leads us to the person and the power of God. He knows, God knows all the details, all the time, to the fullest degree. No tear falls without the Lord knowing it. He knows, he reigns forever and ever. He controls every single event of your life for your greatest good. He will strengthen you. He's pouring steel into your heart to get you ready for the storm. And he will bring justice to completion. And death will stop, and sickness will stop, and abuse will stop, and suffering will stop, and pain will stop, and the tears will stop forever and ever. That's our God. Now, let me ask you this question in an honest way. Is that enough for you? Is that enough for you? Is it enough to just know that what suffering is, and that, that God knows it, he rules over it, he strengthens you in it, and he makes it right. Is that enough for you? I'm asking for real people response here. Is that enough for you? If I said to you, say, well, God knows, and God rules, and God strengthens, and God will make it right. Is that enough for you? Not for me. These truths, they don't hold me when I can't stand. They don't walk with me day to day. Listen, I, I need a friend to walk with me. I need a friend who knows what it's like to go through hurt and pain and difficulty. I need a friend who will be with me, a friend who will stick closer than a brother. And praise God, there is more. This book in front of you unfolds the grand story of the fact that yes, God sees, God knows, God will strengthen, God will bring it to completion, but then the greatest story of all, that God himself comes for you. Is there more to the story? Yes, his name is Jesus. You see, Christianity is the only world religion that has a God who suffers. 
No other religion even remotely comes close to the idea that God, the God of the universe, who created everything, ever put himself in the position of suffering and suffering at the hands of his creation. And in the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is with you, he is present with you in your suffering also. That's Christ in me. In me, listen, in you, in me, believer in Jesus Christ, is, is the one who more than anything understands what real pain and suffering and trial and fear looks like. In me, Jesus is the one who knows what it's like to lose a friend, who knows what it's like to weep at the graveside. In me is the one who knows what it's like to be hated, to be misunderstood, to be rejected, to be abused physically and verbally, to have no money, to have no food, to be alone and abandoned by friends, to be spat upon, to suffer and to die. In me is the one who is able to sympathize with me and my weaknesses. In me is the one who willingly entered into suffering. In me is the one because of his great love for us and has redeemed us from under the curse of sin and he was not immune to the pain. In fact, the greatest victim of suffering ever is our God. And this book tells us the story of a great God who loved us so greatly, so much that he was willing to suffer for you and to die for you, and then, and then to sit beside you in your pain today and put his arm around you and say, I know. I know how much it hurts. I know how bad it is. I know how hard this world is. I know how broken things are. I know what it's like. But listen, I loved you. I gave my life for you. I freed you from sin and death. And my child, I will carry you through this also. I told you today that I want to speak to you about real courage. And I told you as well that to build this courage, we must follow the truth. And here's the kingpin truth on which everything else stands. Because of Jesus Christ, because of his life and death for you, you can be certain, believer in Jesus Christ, that this suffering, this trial, this fear will not crush you. God will never, ever leave you or forsake you. Someday soon he will usher you into his eternal glory and wipe the tears from your eyes. God came for you to save you. And he stays with you now in your suffering and pain and trial and difficulty and fear. The love of a savior calls us to look at him in the storms of life and the suffering and to run to him. The psalmist asked the question at the beginning in verse one right there, beginning us, beginning us off today. Why, O oh Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself from times of trouble? And the answer that the psalmist brings his heart to, which is the answer for us tonight, is that he is right here with us. He is not far away. He is right with us now. And he says to you, if you're brokenhearted, if you're crushed in spirit, I am right here with you tonight. I'm with you. I know I'm reigning. I will strengthen you and I will make it right. If you make the choice, if you make the choice to follow the truth, you will pour courage into your heart. That's the place that courage is found. Now listen, we have the opportunity now as a church to celebrate the great work of the Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf. We're gonna to turn to the Lord's Supper. Now God's word is very clear on this, that this, this time is for believers in Jesus Christ. So as the elements are passed to you, the bread and the juice representing the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, I would encourage you, believers in Jesus Christ, to hold those elements in your hands and to consider the great love of the Savior upon you. Maybe it's a word of encouragement he speaks to you today. 
Maybe it's a word of challenge or, or conviction he speaks to you today. Maybe it's a time between you and your God to talk to him, to confess, to reconcile, to ask for forgiveness. Maybe it's a time for you to sit silently and worship him. We're going to let the elements be passed to you, and then uh, at the end of the song, in just a moment, we'll uh, take of those elements together. But let me pray, and I'd like to invite the servers to come forward as I do that. Would you bow with me, church? God, back to the truth we talked about today. We thank you that courage does not rest upon our shoulders. You're not calling us today to be strong. That's what the world says. To be courageous, we need to be strong in ourselves. We need to suck it up. We need to hold our head up high. We can't show weakness. That's not what you're saying to us at all tonight. That's not the person that you love to look upon tonight. You love to look upon the person who cries out and says, I'm weak, I can't do it. I can't face it. I can't handle it. This life is too broken, it's too hard, it's too painful. Would you give me grace tonight, Lord, to run to you? Would you anchor my heart firmly in these truths that we've seen tonight? That you know what's going on in my life. You've never left me. That you're going to strengthen me. You're going to make it right. God, give us grace to walk by faith in this, that we might see the explosive power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that the world will look upon us and say, why are you walking so confident? How can you handle this life? And we say, it's not our strength, it's the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ in me. And now, God, we thank you for the opportunity we have to worship the Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord, the entire foundation, the reason that we can have courage tonight is because of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf, his work upon the cross that has set us free. So, Lord, I pray for hearts in this room to be filled with worship and love for you. Lead us, Lord, lead us. Would this be such a worshipful time? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.